Real good. We have a reason uh, to celebrate right now. This last Friday, the Friday that just passed, um, we released our first single off of our new album that's coming out in April. It's called Faithful and True. You guys, that is, that's 30 albums in 30 years. Isn't that amazing? For the record, Taylor Swift only put out nine. So, we're outpacing Tay-Tay by three, 300%. That's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, like, yeah, the, the Lord has been so faithful to give us songs. And I want you to know that like, that we're not doing this so we can be rock stars. We're not doing this so that we can be celebrities. We're doing this so we can serve our church because we love y'all. And we, and we feel the responsibility to make sure that y'all have something to sing Monday to Saturday and it means something to us and we hope that it means something to you. And we're gonna sing Faithful and True right now. Is that all right? Let's go.
Come on, as we stand in the presence of God here together, why don't you just lift up your hands and sing or pray your prayers to God here, just with your own words right now. Just give him thanks. Say, thank you, Lord. Tell him about who he is. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. See, this is the presence of God. He is here. He is moving. He is doing all the, only the things he can do. And you know, in the Gospels, we're told of this story where Jesus is going through a town and there's this crowd that surrounds him, but there's also this woman who had been suffering from a disease for many years, many years, and she was in her season of waiting, waiting for the miracle. And there's this crowd surrounding Jesus, but she says, I got to get to him. Like, I have to get to him. And scriptures tells us that she just touches his robe. And then Jesus asks the question, who, who touched me? Because he felt the power leave him. <laughs> the healing power of Jesus because she said, I have to reach out. I can't just be around him. I gotta get close to him. And so here's a lesson this woman teaches us today. Just because you're in the presence of Jesus, it's not the same thing as reaching out for Jesus. See, I I'm glad we're here. We are in the presence of God right now. But the next step is as we wait for the miracle, we call out, we have to reach out. You understand this is our job. We, we're the ones who knock, God's the one who opens the door. We're the ones who ask, God's the one who gives us what we're asking for. We're the ones who are supposed to lift up our voice and cry out to God, and he says he will answer. So today I wonder, what is it that we need to reach out to God for? Maybe there's a healing that's missing in your life and you're in your season of waiting. So if you can think of maybe, maybe you need healing physically, there's something you've been suffering through, or, or you've been suffering through mental health, or, or emotional healing is a need, um, could it just be that today we would stretch out our hand as our way of reaching out and saying, Jesus, I'm reaching out for you. And if you would reach out your hand, I want to enter into agreement with you over this healing. Maybe today, as, as far as it depends on us, we are going to ask, we are going to cry out, and we will not be a people who have not because we ask not. We will ask for it all, and so let's pray together. Father, here we are, and we're reaching out to you. We're saying we just don't wanna be around you. We, we need you, God. We can't, we can't do this, we cannot perform the miracle, but we know you can. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray healing over my brothers and sisters where it's needed. I pray for miraculous recovery, for complete changes in physical illnesses to just disappear. Lord, you can do it, and so we're asking for it. We say, would you do that in this room right now, God? And also, for those who've been fighting a fight of mental health and just feel the oppression that comes in that space, right now, in the name of Jesus, we say, be gone. Let it, let, it be, let it end today, God. We ask for that. And we ask also for relational healing, emotional healing. Lord, may it be that we, we're not missing out on the things you want to do in your people because we just want to stay away from people because we've been hurt. So we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit for healing to happen in our hearts relationally. That we would have fresh eyes to see the people around us. That yes, we're all imperfect, Lord, but draw us closer together. Bring us into the unity of your spirit. We know you have the power to do it, God, and so we reach out to you now and say, would you? Would you do it? We ask this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, 
Amen. Come on, let's, let's give God praise. We're just going to praise him right now. We praise him while we're waiting. We praise him in the season of waiting. And, uh, you know, now we turn our attention to the giving of our tithes and offerings because God brings healing, but we also get to carry this healing. And we have a heart for this city. We have a heart for this nation. We have a heart for the world. So that's why we're giving. And that's what I want you to think about. We get to carry the healing of God here in Colorado Springs. So do it, Lord. We partner with him. Come on, let's continue worshiping the Lord together. church family this morning, excited to continue in worship by hearing the word of God that we'll hear from our very own Pastor Brady. Uh, but before we continue, take a quick moment and greet one another in Jesus' name. Go ahead. Good morning, New Life North. It's so good to see you. My name is Callie. Welcome to church this morning. Hey, my name is Briggs. If you're new here and you're wondering what ministries New Life Church offers, you can scan the QR code or click the link below. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, tell us where you're watching from. We'd love to say hello. Yes, now grab your Bible, grab a notebook, grab a pen. It's time to lean in for a powerful message. Good morning. Hi, everybody doing okay? Good to see you. Welcome to church. It's not frozen outside. Feels good. All of you that uh, all of you that came last week, you know, at the first first Sunday of the year, I challenge you to come 40 Sundays. If you came last week when it was two degrees, that counts as two. Okay, I just want you to know that. So mark it down twice. That was an awful brave of you to get out in the two degree weather. We had record online attendance though. I'm looking at you, stayed at home in your PJs, your flannels, while the rest of us suffered for the Lord. <laughs> anyway, good to have all of you. Welcome to church. We're glad you're here. I want to say something 
I, I know, uh, uh, you know, D said something about the new worship album that's coming out. That, that song we just sang, Amen and Hallelujah, is just ridiculously good. I just, I'm so grateful for the way our team lives their lives in private, first of all, uh, and it's a reflection of the songs they're singing and the songs they're writing. And, you know, it's hidden character that gives you private, uh, it's, it's hidden character that gives you public audience. And what, what's happening on our team, you're seeing years of hidden faithfulness, of really being devoted to the presence of the Lord and their love for the local church being birthed in these songs. So that album, some of you have said, when is that coming out? It's coming out around Easter, just in time for uh, Holy Week. So I look forward to downloading that. I, I can't wait to download it, listen to it. Uh, that was some of the best collective songwriting we've ever done in 30 years as a church. And I'm grateful for the, the way our church worships. And you make it easy to write songs because you engage. You're with us and you're worshiping alongside us. So good to be with you today. All right, pray for me this week. I'm gonna be in uh, Colombia, which is in South America, for those of you that don't know. So you gotta fly all the way to South America, below the equator, which by, by the way means, I checked it this morning, it's 91 there right now. So I am thrilled to go down and help some pastors in Colombia, and I might do this every year for the rest of my life. You know, I don't know if you know this, I was born and raised in Louisiana. Pam, Pam and I are both Louisiana natives where we got snow like every four years, you know? We got an ice storm maybe once or twice in the winter. So I moved to Colorado, my blood took me about 10 years for my blood to thicken up a bit up here. And so every once in a while, this Southern boy, born and raised in the South, I have to get into some humidity or I get angry. Like how many of you get, like it, I thought last Sunday it was cold enough to be angry about. You know, just anger. So I have to get into some humidity and it just takes all that anger out of me, all right? So if you haven't done that, I encourage you to get into some heat and humidity so you'll have a good attitude, all right? All right, turn, turn in your Bible to John chapter two. We are beginning a glorious journey through the book of John. And I mean that sincerely. The book of John is rich. It's heavy, it's good, it's thoughtful. It's, it, it's one of the most significant all the books in the Bible are canonized for a reason. We believe all the scriptures are God-breathed. They're in the canon of scriptures for a reason. I trust our early church mothers and fathers for putting the canons together. I trust all of that. But there's something significant about the book of John. John stands out among all of the books of the Bible. If you were to say, pick three books of the Bible that you can't live without, I, I'll tell you what my three would be in this order. I couldn't live without the Psalms. I have to have the worship of the Psalms in me. I, I, I read the Psalms a lot, the laments, the joy, the worship of the Psalms. I think Ephesians is Paul's Magna Carta. I think he wrote it later in his life while he was in prison. I think the book of Ephesians is dynamic, it's rich. It speaks to me every time I read it, but I would also say the book of John. If I were on a desert island, I could only have three books of the Bible. I would take the Psalms, I would take the book of Ephesians, and I would take the book we're teaching through right now. That's how important it is to me, personally. You can pick other three books if you like, uh, but these three mean something to me. This gospel was written much later than the other three. So John had more time, I think, to reflect back on what had happened. I think he had some chance to really dive into what Jesus did and who he was. This, it was written, it contains fewer parables, fewer miracles, so uh, he's not telling the dynamic story. And let me tell you why. This is so important to catch this, okay? John spends more time on who Jesus was and is and not on just what he did and does. 
So it's, it's really important to you, for you and I to balance our, our thinking about Jesus. A lot of times charismatic people, which I grew up in the charismatic Pentecostal world, we spend a lot of time talking about what Jesus did and what he's doing, which that's great. I believe he heals, I believe he sets people free, I believe in all the charismatic expressions of Jesus. I have no problem with any of that. But I think along the way, we also need to do a deep dive on who Jesus is. Who, what's his character, his nature, uh, the, the immutable qualities, that word immutable means unchanging, can, can never change. What is it about Jesus that can never change? What is it about Jesus that's true today and will be true tomorrow? That's where John spends most of his time. So this gospel is, is intensely personal. You know, he, he even said about himself that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that, that he pointed that out about himself. But I also say that about me. I think I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. So we can all say it about ourselves, right? But this is intensely personal. It says more about the person and divinity of Jesus than any other gospel. Now, here we are in chapter two. I hope you're reading along with me. We'll be in John three next week. And then John Egan is actually gonna speak on John four in two weeks. You don't wanna miss that. He's a fantastic preacher. And he'll be preaching on John four. And then I'll be back with John five. So every week will be a different chapter. And I want you to follow along with me, read it during the week. If you read John two, there is not a chapter in the Bible that shows the polar opposites of Jesus's personality than this chapter. The chapter starts off with a wedding where he's, he creates 120,000 or 120 gallons of wine, whatever it is. And then it ends with him clearing the temple out in anger, righteous anger. So at the wedding in Cana, this is where the chapter starts off. He spares the wedding host a great embarrassment by turning common water into extraordinary wine. Now, if you're a Baptist, we can say grape juice, but for the rest of us, it was probably wine, okay? I married a Southern Baptist who still, I was in her church when her pastor taught this, that Jesus turned this into grape juice, which is not as great a miracle, by the way, as turning in his wine. All right, anyway. So here we are now to set the story up. Jesus, this is not a family member of Jesus that we know of, but he's at this wedding. He gets invited, he attends. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the celebration, they run out of wine, which is a huge embarrassment to the host family. It means that they're poor, that they don't have enough money to provide, that not, they don't know how to celebrate well. I mean, it would have really rock, wrecked their, their reputation in the Jewish community where they lived. And this is, so the first miracle of Jesus, listen to this, the first miracle that we have recorded in the Bible happened in the most obscure way. And it doesn't, nobody was healed. Nobody was set free from demonic you know, bondage. It's, it, he's saving these people from embarrassment. Now let me, why is that important? I'm gonna just point this out before I read the text. If Jesus was mindful enough of their condition and how this would affect them, do you think that Jesus is also mindful of your well-being every day? Do you think Jesus, if, does it matter to Jesus if you're anxious? Does it matter to Jesus if you're being mistreated? Does it matter to Jesus that you are finding yourself in a place where you can't provide and you're embarrassed by it, you're ashamed by it, you're, you, it, it troubles your soul that something's not going your way, something has not been provided to your home. Does that matter to Jesus? The answer is yes, it does. And we see this because of this story 
in John chapter two. So here he is, they've run out of wine, Jesus is aware of it, and the mother, Mother Mary, says to, to the people, hey Jesus, you need to deal with this, you need to handle this. And Jesus goes, don't bother me. He actually resisted doing the miracle at first. He goes, hey, I don't need to get involved here. And Mary, the good mom says, son, I'm your mama. Do what I say, all right? You're gonna do this. Okay, mom. That's what sons do when moms used to, she probably said Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know, when your mother calls you by your full name. <laughs> That's when you know you're in trouble. Say like Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you're doing this one. Okay. So his mother said to his servants in verse five, do whatever he tells you. Leave that up for a moment. I wonder how radical our lives would be if we just did whatever he told us. I wonder how exciting our lives would be if we just did whatever he told us. Because I, listen, it's not Jesus' fault that you have a boring spiritual life. All right, it's not, it's not his fault if I'm bored. He's waiting on us to say yes to what he's asking. All right, let me, I'm gonna leave it here because I wanna tell you one quick story about this, okay? I had a friend, he spent 20 plus years as a bellhop at an airport, hotel. Not a glorious you know, profession necessarily, but he was very faithful to it. And he, 20 years, he did the same job every day. 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. And he, he, we, I went to lunch with him one day and he goes, Brady, I wanna, I'm, I'm bored, I want my life to matter. I want, I want God to use me. I hear you telling these stories of God using people. And so we talked about this and said, well, have you said to him that you'll do whatever he tells you? He goes, no, I don't think I've ever said that. I said, then tell him, Jesus, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. So he did, he prayed that prayer. So one day on a Monday, he told me, he's at his stand in the hotel lobby, doing his job, picking up luggage and showing people to their room. And a group of pastors from Guatemala walked into the lobby. They're there for a pastor's conference. And he says, there's one particular pastor walked by him. The Lord spoke to him loud. He said, go tell him, dig. Now my pastor goes, can you give me a sentence? Like a, a subject and a verb. Uh, can you give me something? I don't even know. If he said, and he says, I told God, I don't know if he speaks English as if God didn't know. I said, I told him, I said, Ken, he would have given you the word in Spanish if the guy did not speak English, okay? God knew. He goes, okay, okay. So for three days, he argues with the Lord about this. I'm not gonna go up to a random stranger who I don't know and tell him, dig. Finally, the last day, they're picking up their luggage. They're getting on the shuttle. They're headed to the airport. They're going back to Guatemala. He'll never see this guy again. He walks up to the guy and goes, hey, sir, I don't know if you speak English. And the guy goes, I do. Muy poquito, but yes. And he says, um, I've been th watching you for three days and every time you walk by me, I have this word for you. I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I know you're a pastor. And the pastor goes, well, tell me, tell me. He said, I only have one word for you. He says, what is it? He says, dig. And he said, I yelled it at him like, dig. <laughs> and that's what Americans do to people who don't, they don't know if they speak their language, they yell at them. Have <laughs> you noticed that about Americans? Dig! Okay, I heard you. The, like the blood rushes out of his face, his countenance drops, he's stunned. And he said to my friend, last Sunday, we held an emergency meeting at my church in Guatemala because we are growing really fast. 
and our building is too small and we have two choices. We can dig out the mountain behind us and expand our building or we can buy a piece of property outside of town that's gonna make it more difficult for people to get to. And I said to the, my church, let's fast and pray this week because we need a word from the Lord. And I come in the bellhop, the bellhop at my hotel <laughs> tells me to dig. Listen, it changed that guy's life. My friend Ken, it changed his life. Now, I'm just asking you a question today. Will you do whatever he tells you to do? See, we're a bit of a peculiar people anyway, right? We should be a bit peculiar. Like we walk around smiling when no one else is, right? We're joyful. And we're willing to take risk on behalf of the Lord for his kingdom, his glory, not our own. So his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And to her surprise, they do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. <laughs> That's, what is that, 120 to 180 gallons of wine? There, there might be a drinking problem in this particular village. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there for this. You, you make up your own mind on that. That's a lot. And Jesus said, said to the servants, fill the jars with ordinary water. And they filled them to the brim. I love that they didn't shortchange the Lord. I love that they, 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 their obedience was full and complete. They didn't leave anything out of the jar. They filled the jar completely up. And then they told him, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Those servants who had drawn the water, they knew. And then they called the bridegroom aside. They said, everyone brings out the best stuff first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until right now. So the wedding and the wine, it's a, it's a fascinating story. It troubles some people, aggravates some people that the idea of wine and drinking is in the Bible, but it's right there. So what are we supposed to learn? If it's in the Bible, if it's there, what are we supposed to learn from it? Okay, I'm gonna show you a couple of things that I think will be helpful when you read this text to remind you of what this text means. What should we learn? Number one, Jesus thought weddings were sacred and so should we. He's there, his presence is there for a reason. Now I know all the TikTok videos, YouTube videos of people doing crazy things at weddings. I, I don't mind some of that. I've officiated weddings where people do silly things and I just kind of roll my eyes and you know, I'm the old guy, you know, so I just kind of ignore it. But I've always found that the, my favorite weddings are when the couple's taken this really seriously. It's a holy moment. It's a sacred moment. It's a moment where God is bringing two people. The two shall become one. It's that kind of union. It's a covenantal process. It's a covenantal proceeding. It's not a contract we're signing. It's a covenant we're agreeing to, right? Pam and I, we, you know, we've been dating since June of 1986. So that's a long time. 38 years. She's been my girlfriend. 34 and a half years I've been married to her. And we work hard at our, our marriage. We consider our relationship not a... I mean, it's, it's, it's serious, it's holy to us. It requires a lot of hard work. It's gloriously difficult work to be married. And I believe that we should treat marriage, talk about marriage, speak about marriage with that same type of holy sobriety. And I believe also that a culture that honors and respects marriage normally flourishes. You see this throughout the human history, a culture that gives up on marriage, gives up on its flourishing. And we need to encourage young men and women to think about marriage, to prepare themselves for marriage, to be married, 
not give up on it. And I know some of you want to be married, just hasn't happened yet. You have a desire to be married, but you're waiting on the right one. I, I applaud you for that. I, I pray in your waiting that you would find the joy of the Lord, that you would grow up in fullness of godliness until you're married. That's great. Some of you feel called to singleness. That's, that's a biblical ideal as well. Maybe you're called to be single so you can work hard for the Lord, where you can do something else for his kingdom. Completely okay. I'm just saying don't give up. Just because you haven't seen very many good marriages, don't give up on yours being good. Don't give up on yours being holy. There's a lot of unholy unions out there falling apart in front of you. That doesn't mean yours has to do that. You're not going to repeat that cycle. And I believe uh, there's a second thing we're supposed to see in this story. Number one, let's, let's cherish the idea of marriages. Number two, there are times we should be merry and rejoice. Listen, we should be the biggest party animals in town. You were lost and you're now found. You're broken and you're now healed. You were, you were long gone and you got found. If you can't throw a party after that. Listen, I want to encourage you with something. Okay, 2024, I want you to go out to dinner with more people this year. I want you to invite people over to your house. I want you to throw a party on Super Bowl Sunday. We're not going to be in it, but somebody else is. Let's join their party, right? But let's, let's find, look, look for every, I'm serious about this. Look for every opportunity this year for joy. God promised you this year is going to suck the joy out of you. So I want to go looking for it. I'm going to pursue joy this year. I'm going to pursue parties this year. If you're throwing a really good party, I, I want to be invited. I may not be able to come, but I might come this year. I, I, this is what looks, listen, you know what was so uh, intriguing to the Romans and the Greeks when they found the Christians? They could persecute them, throw them into prison, feed them to the lions, Take their property from them. You know, what, you know what they could not take from the Christians? Their joy. And it infuriated them. It infuriated their enemies. We have beat these people. We have robbed these people. We have called them names. We have thrown them into jail. What happened with Peter, Paul, when they found themselves in jail? They were worshiping. There's story after story of them being in prison cells, lifting up their voice in worship, chains falling off of them. Why? Because you can't take my joy. You can do anything else. You can't take our joy. Look, listen to what Paul said. Paul now is writing this from prison, Ephesians 5. He's about to die. He's been imprisoned. He's in a nasty jail cell when he wrote this. Listen to this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, listen to what he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what will happen when you're filled with the Spirit? What's going to be the result of that? Speak to one another with psalms. Not angry Facebook post. Imagine that if we replaced all of our angry posts with a psalm. And I'm not talking about the, you know, curse my enemy psalms. The, I'm talking about the Psalm 23 psalms. <laughs> Hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from where? Your heart. Listen, is it out of an overflow of a joyful heart? That's where your song should come from. That's where your word should come from. The overflow of a joyful heart. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, here's the bottom line, last thing for this, this part. It's possible to be both merry and wise. I'm not talking about being an idiot and having fun. I'm talking about being sober-minded and joyful and having fun. Being a people of fun. All right, there's a place 
that I go to on a regular basis for a regular nitro cold brew beverage almost every day. And I'm highly caffeinated right now. You can thank the Lord for nitro cold brew because I'm, I'm a better human when that's in me, right? Okay. But there's a particular place I can get it. I got multiple places I can go get that. But there's one particular place I try to go because half the people in there are new lifers and they are so full of joy when I pull up to the window. They are so much fun. And, and I haven't had coffee yet. Nobody's really fun until I've had, coffee makes you more interesting, right? So when I go to that, that drive-through line, they're there. Hey, Pastor Brady. In fact, this morning I pulled up to the drive-through line. She goes, you want your cold brew? I mean, she didn't say hello. She just saw it was me. You want your cold brew? I went, yes, I want my cold brew. And they're joyful. Listen, they're, they're working in a place that's secular, working in a place that we don't have shared values, but they are joyful. They're, and they're being a witness, not with their angry outburst. They're being a witness because they're merry and wise. Their life, come back to me. <laughs> Bible running off from me. Okay, skip down to verse 13. All right, that's a joyful thing, right? A party, weddings, fun, celebration. Verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, by the way, this would be the, his final Passover. He was about to be arrested. He was about to be crucified. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He doesn't, doesn't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem, quite honestly, if you read the whole text. He doesn't spend a lot of time there because people aren't nice. He's attacked there. He's, he's, a, he's really, he, it's, it's not nice. So he spends most of his time up at Galilee on the water, fishing with his buddies and hanging out in a much better environment. But in the temple courts, he shows up at the temple one day. Now I've been up on the Temple Mount. I know where that area is. It's a holy site. It's a, it's a sacred site for us, for the Jewish people and for Christian people. In the temple courts, he found people there selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Leave that up just for a moment because that actually has been going on for a, a thousand, more than a thousand years in the temple. That's not, not a problem. Not a problem for people to be sitting out there offering sacrifices for people who could not bring one. Okay, that's not the problem. So most people have said, you should never sell anything. That's, that's not what Jesus made Jesus mad. People that did not own a farm, but wanted to bring sacrifices for their families had always been willing and able to buy one there at a fair price. And they expected that when they showed up, that they would be asked to pay a fair price for a fair product. That had changed when Jesus showed up today. I mean, this is a really good distinction for you, okay? What was happening here is people were bringing completely healthy animals, animals that fit all of the customary things, and they were being rejected. So you think about a family that had raised a lamb, this lamb was a sacrificial lamb for their family at Passover, according to Jewish tradition. It met all of the uh, requirements of the law. They showed up at the temple with their perfectly healthy, perfectly good lamb. And the people at the temple said, no, you can't use that one. You gotta buy one from us. That's what was going on. And the money changers were charging too much money. The money changers were taking perfectly good money and dismissing it and making them buy their stuff with their money. You can't use those coins to buy those, you gotta use our coins. So you see, that's corrupt. And it frustrated Jesus. So what happened? Verse 15, so Jesus made a whip out of cords and he drove all of them from the temple cords. I love this. 
in your mind, imagine this scene, okay? It's crowded, it's Passover. There are thousands of people there. So he's over in the corner making a whip, cord to whip. All of a sudden it says, sheep and cattle start scattering. There are feathers in the air. There are sheep bleeding. There are people in chaos. Tables are being turned over. And right in the middle of the chaos is who? Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the cause of the chaos. Now, let me stop here just for a moment. It's easy for us to be self-righteous. Say, yeah, those evil people in the temple, that's what they get. They get what they deserve. But who is the temple now? When was the last time Jesus caused some chaos in your soul? I knew it would get extremely quiet. <laughs> Let me, I'm just asking you a question. If Jesus had permission to go to an earthly place, real estate, and cause some chaos, do you think he might have permission today to come to us when we need it and cause some chaos? Well, let me ask you a different way. When was the last time you woke up feeling convicted that you had to change something in your life? I'm shocked at how many people tell me it's been forever. It's every day for me. I mean, honestly, it's every single day. I feel like the Lord said, you need to go tell Pam that you're sorry, or you need to correct that. You need to stop that. Stop thinking that. Quit it. Every day, a thousand times in a year at least. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. All right, here's what happens. I have counseled hundreds of people who have blown up their lives for various reasons. Porn, adultery. I mean, some stuff that just blew up their home, they blew up their family, stole some money or whatever, whatever it was. And all of them have said to me that they did not wake up one morning after 30 years of faithfulness and decide today is today, I'm just gonna blow it all up. It never happens that way. You don't, you don't remain faithful for 20 or 30 years and then wake up one day and have a, make a rash decision that changes your life. You know what happens? You wake up one day and you don't welcome the Holy Spirit and you get off about a half an inch and you don't course correct. And then the next day you get up and you make another compromise of about a half an inch like that. So it's subtle. And you look up 10 years and you're 45 degrees off where God wants you to go. You, there's an addiction, a habit that has gotten itself deep in your heart. And you're like, well, how did I get there? How did I arrive at that? Because there was days and weeks and months and even years that went by that you didn't ask Jesus to come into your life and cause a little bit of chaos. That's what he did. He was setting things right. And I'm just saying, listen, it's easy to read this story and to say that that group of people, that, that mean group of people needed that. I'm telling you that Jesus tells us his story for probably a reason you don't want to hear. He's coming to me too. If he turns over their tables, he's going to turn over my tables. If he's going to correct the corruption of the temple, he's going to correct the corruption in my temple. All of us need to embrace that and say, I, listen, I want it. I'm terrified living a life without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know how, listen, you know how big a mess we can make of our lives? If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to come in and convict us, challenge us, change us, correct, challenge, change. Lord, do it every day. This morning, that's why I got up 545 this morning. I'm awake. Cat's running around the room. I'm awake. And I said, come Holy Spirit. Now, why did I do that today? 
I did it Saturday too and Friday. And I will do it tomorrow. I'll do it every day I'm in Columbia. I'll do it on my way home. Because I want to make sure that my life stays within the boundaries. It can go left or right. I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about staying within the, the biblical boundaries that God mapped out for me. Be faithful to Pam. Love my children. Be faithful to this text, these scriptures. Make sure my doctrine remains sound. Make sure that my heart remains pure. My mind remains clear. With all that in play, I'm going to end up, look, I'm going to end up in 20 years or so, the old guy who finished well. That's really all, the only goal I have left in life is to be the old guy that finished well. And that should be your goal, right? To run the race marked out for you, to stand in front of Jesus and hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful what? Servant. Well done. So he says to those who sold us, verse 16, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market, a corrupt place. So why was Jesus so angry? Listen very carefully. Why was he angry? In the second story, Jesus flashes righteous anger and reorients the temple back to its holy design. That's exactly what I just described. That's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit feels like. Jesus flashing his righteous anger towards you, not to harm you, not to hurt you, not to be mean to you. He wants you to return all of us back to our holy design. You see, the temple was meant for both Jews and outsiders. There was a place where Gentiles could come. They couldn't go to every place, but they could come in. They could get close to God there. And the leaders were creating unnecessary burdens for people. Let me stop just for a moment. Are we, as a, the people of God, in 2024 America, we are, listen, there is not a, there's no other group that's ambassadors for Jesus except the people sitting in this room with me. Do you know that's a, that's a sobering assignment? We're the only ones in our city, I'm talking about the church, all the churches in our city I'm talking about. All the Christ followers in our city, we're the only ambassadors he has in the 719 area code. Do you know that? We're it. And there's a lot of churches in town that are preaching the scriptures and I, I, they, they're part of it. We're the church at large, right? But we're the ambassadors. We're the witnesses. This generation will know Jesus because of our witness or not. What a sobering response, what an exciting responsibility, right? What an exciting time to be alive, quite honestly. But the leaders were creating these unnecessary burdens. Let me ask you a question. When people come around you and listen to you, are we creating unnecessary burdens for people to discover Jesus? Do you know that I, I don't take responsibility to change you? I cannot change you. I stand here every Sunday doing the best I can to show you the scriptures, to make them applicable, to make them come alive to you the best I know how. But I walk out of here every Sunday knowing I do not have a responsibility to change anything about your life. I can't. I was in someone's grill the other day trying to help them, you know, being aggressive with them. And he, said, he looked at me and he said, you're not going to control my life. I said, I have really good news for you. I'm barely controlling my own. I'm barely holding it together myself. I don't have the energy to control Pam. I don't have the energy to control Abram. I don't have the energy to control Callie. I, don't have, I certainly don't have the energy to control you. My responsibility is my heart to keep myself upright before the Lord. And I trust the Holy Spirit to do that with you. 
So listen, don't, you're, you're, some of you are spending way too much energy trying to change the world. That's the Holy Spirit's job, right? You can't change yourself either unless the Holy Spirit gets involved, right? So here's the point. What are we supposed to do when the world's going to hell in a handbasket? Be a witness. Show them the better way. Keep your heart unspotted from the world. Live holy. When the world gets darker, it's time for us to be holier. When the world gets more corrupt, it's our time to be what? Salt and light. To speak the truth in love, to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. And listen, what was happening in that temple, they were profiting when they should have been serving. And that's the call of the church today. We're here to serve. We're here to be a blessing. We're here to be strong. Certainly we're gonna speak up. Certainly we're gonna get involved, but we're gonna do it as a witness of Jesus along the way. I want you to stand with me this morning and I wanna pray something. For those of you who serve at the table of the Lord, would you come down today? I woke up yesterday morning on a Saturday, earlier than normal, and I, I wanna share this with you as we come to the table of the Lord today. And it, it, it has something to do with the message today, but I was thinking about that Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper, right, on the Passover. It's a Passover meal. If you have a Jewish, if you understand the Jewish culture, the Jewish tradition, it's a big deal. The Passover meal is, is really celebrating their freedom from Egypt. It's a meal that they prepare every year. When we celebrate Easter, they're normally celebrating Passover around that same time. And they're celebrating their deliverance from Egypt. And in, when Jesus brought his disciples together, I want you to think just for a moment what Jesus knew at that meal. He's in a house with a table and there's lamb on the table, there's bread on the table, there's wine on the table. And he knew that in 24 hours, all of these men except one would leave him. They would cancel him. Cancel culture is not new. Jesus was canceled. All of his friends left him. Peter denied him three times. Peter said, I don't even know this guy. <laughs> Can you imagine one of your closest friends in your moment of greatest travail when you are at your worst, when you're being killed, when you're being murdered, your closest friend just running off and leaving you and denying you in public? And Jesus knew that, yet he was at a meal with them. So I'm, I wanna say this to you, I, I, I woke up, I was, from my own heart, I was, these last four years, I've lost some friends over silly stuff. And I'm not talking about casual friends. I'm talking about people I've known 20 or 30 years who are some of my best friends. They're no longer in my life. And it's, it's painful. I know what it feels like to be canceled out of someone's life. And you probably know that too. A lot of you in the room have been deceived. You've been abandoned. You've been canceled. What did Jesus do with that? At the Last Supper, with his buddies around him. Man, they were cheering him on at that moment, right? Come on, Jesus, this is the moment, right? We're gonna go defeat the Romans and you're gonna be our king and that's, that's what's going to happen, right? And Jesus goes, no, actually, I'm about to be betrayed. I'm gonna be arrested. They're gonna falsely accuse me and I'm gonna die. But don't lose hope because in three days, the Holy Spirit's gonna come into the place where I'm buried and I'm gonna come back to life and I'll come see you. And they looked at him with a dumbfounded look. Is that really what's going to happen? Yep, that's what's going to happen. And when it happened, they ran. So I wanna take a moment today before we come to the table of the Lord to remember 
Jesus knows what you're feeling. If that's you today, you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, someone's walked away from you, you lost a loved one, you lost someone that you love, your friend. Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling today. He, he is in solidarity with what you're feeling. And so today, when you come to the table of the Lord, would you bring that with you to the table of the Lord as you take the cup and take the bread today? Would you surrender that to the, at the feet of Jesus today? I plan to do that myself. I did it at the nine o'clock service and just a, a tremendous amount of relief came to me when I realized I've been carrying this hurt and this offense and I let it go today. And I want you to do the same. So I wanna pray over you today, Father in heaven, all of us are human beings who have human emotions, human feelings, and you know what those are because you took on all of humanity's when you came to the earth. And you know what it feels like to be abandoned and betrayed and misjudged and misunderstood. You understand injustice at its, at its most base form. And yet on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread and blessed it and handed it to the men that would run away from you. And you blessed them and you forgave them. And you knew one day they would all come back, that you would redeem them down the road. So Lord, we don't know how you're going to redeem these relationships in our lives and maybe they won't be redeemed until the return of Christ. But Lord, today, I pray we would take careful inventory of our hearts. And I pray today that our hearts would be unspotted and cleared of any offense, any forgiveness. We just release them into your hands today. And we thank you that you're with us, that you're for us, that we're on the rock who is Christ Jesus and that we're in the palm of your hand. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's come to the table of the Lord today. The way we do this, just step out of your seat, come down, take the cup, go back to where you're seated. If you can't get out of your seat, just tell the people around you to come, bring you back one. Come now to the table of the Lord.
to invite you now to grab hold of these elements. John is teaching us the things Jesus did, but also who Jesus was. And when we come to the table, we're remembering both those things. Yes, we remember the sacrifice of Christ, but we remember who he is. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is what will satisfy our soul. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. He's the one who sheds his blood. He's the one who forgives it. That's Jesus, that's who he is. And the scripture tells us that before they broke the bread and drank of the cup, they gave thanks. So just hold these elements in your hand and right there between you and the Lord, let's just, uh, just repeat after me as we give thanks to God. Say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and who you are. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And so now we eat remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. This is the blood that is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. We drink together. Then after they ate of the bread and they drank of the cup, they sang a hymn. So come on now, let's lift up our voice and let's worship the Lord together. amen. When we say amen, we say, let it be so. Everything that's God's stirring up, we say, yes, God, we want that. We want to experience that. And I feel like God's, God's speaking, God's moving right here. 
And so I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. Here's why we do this, because some of you, you shouldn't leave the room until you pray about what God just did. You should take a moment and say, I will mark it. I will pray with someone to remember what God spoke. And I will step into it. I will bring my yes, and God will bring his power. And so at the end of the service, if there's anything God's stirring up in your heart, I'll just invite you to come forward and pray with one of these people so that you leave marking that moment together. And for others of you, today is a day where you're, you feel like you are ready to connect. You've been here, you come here to worship God, but now you're ready to connect with the family of God. And if that's you, if you have any questions of what that would look like, here's what you can do. You can go out these middle doors to the left. There's an area called Connect Central, and you can ask questions, specifically that question. You say, hey, I, I want to connect here with the family of God. How can I do that? There are many many ways that you can do that here at New Life Church. And so maybe today's the day you just step out and say, okay, I'm ready to start asking some questions so that you can find the community. You, you have to be the community, but you also have to find it. And I hope that you can find that here just like I have. And as my family have, we've found that here and we love, love this church family here. So before we head out, would you just open your hands like this? I just wanna bless you as we leave. May you go not just knowing that you're loved, but experiencing what it's like to be loved. You have nothing to earn, nothing to prove, and everything to have in God. Go now in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the mission of Jesus Christ, and in his name I pray, amen and amen. So good worshiping with you. We'll see you next week.